on. Are y'all all right? Yeah. All right. Hey to you folks online, God bless you. I'm super, super excited to have some time to share in God's word and then a little time at the end to do some praying together. And uh, if we haven't met, my name is Judah. I have the best job here at Bridgeway. I get to hang out with the young adults. And so if you're between the ages of 18 and 25, I just would love to connect with you and get you roped into our community. Uh, I know I'm biased, but I do believe we have like some of the best humans in the world in our young adult group. So if you're in that age group, I would love to connect with you. Over the last few weeks, Bridgeway has just been on fire. It's just been such a rich time in our missional communities, in our youth ministries. Pastor Cliff, who oversees our high school ministry, he's our high school pastor, he had like 13 young people commit to Christ a few weeks ago. That's a big deal, y'all. That's something to be excited about. So we got some awesome awesome things going on at Bridgeway. And of course, that includes our weekend services. It's just been incredible. We had Easter a couple of weeks ago, and Pastor Lance taught us on the theme of rebuilding, and he connected the gospel story with a rebuilding that's happening in our own lives. And then last week, Pastor Lance talked to us about the necessity of belief, and belief as an entry point, as a gate, if you will, to the life that is promised to the believer, right? He talked to us about how there is such a rich and wonderful life that we get to participate in when we believe, that there are miracles that are ours in Jesus when we believe, that there's peace that's ours even when we're in the middle of a storm when we believe that salvation and eternal life are ours when we believe. And that's great. But that can also be a little bit intimidating because for a lot of us, we don't know how to arrive at belief, right? Like, we're like, okay, maybe if I just like clench real tight and push real hard, I can like make myself believe. I'm just, mm, do I believe? No, not yet. Sometimes we approach other people's belief in the same way. You know, we, we say, if I, just, if I just put enough pressure on my kids, they'll believe. If I just... If I just harass my neighbor enough, maybe she'll believe. If I hit you hard enough with the Bible, maybe you'll believe. And we know that that doesn't actually work. My experience has been that beating belief into people is pretty unsuccessful. Pressure doesn't make believers. Coercion doesn't make believers. Pretending doesn't make believers. You want to know what makes believers? You'll never guess it. Jesus. Imagine that. Yeah, I, we become believers through our experiential relationship with him, through a growing and developing relationship. And what that means is that you are not the starting place for belief. He is. You want to grow and increase in your belief. It starts with Jesus. And the more time we spend with him, the more we're being transformed into believers. And this is why we spend so much time in this church talking about Jesus, looking at Jesus, looking at what he did and where he went and what he said. We pay attention to, to little things like where he slept and, and what he ate. And that's because, and this is your fill in the blank, we believe that becoming believers is relational. Becoming believers is relational. You can only become a believer through your relationship with Jesus. And so our desire the reason we go to church, the reason we pray, the reason we read our Bible, the reason we sing songs is because we know that becoming believers is critical to our entire eternal existence. And if we want to become 
who God has called us to be, who God has made us to be, we've got to become believers. Now, some of y'all might have already tuned out and said, I, I, I'm a believer. I, I don't need this. I'm, I'm already here. And to you, I just want to remind you that as righteous and holy as some of y'all look today, you weren't born that way. <laughs> You're being transformed into believers. And that can be a real encouragement to some of you who may be here and the person on your row seems like they always have it together. Their faith is a mile high, no matter what the circumstance is. They're grounded in their belief. They just walk around through the fire saying, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. This can be an encouragement to you because I promise you they weren't born that way. I promise you they didn't get to where they are in their relationship with Jesus through their own effort. They are where they are because of Jesus and because of their relationship with him. And that's how they became a believer. Becoming a believer is relational. So today, I want to take a little time and I want to look at a relational journey of becoming a believer. And my hope is really for two groups of people. My hope is for some folks who are here today and maybe this is their first time ever meeting Jesus. Maybe you're watching online and this is your first time ever meeting Jesus. Or maybe you're here or you're watching and You've been journeying with Jesus for a long time, but you're ready to grow in your faith. There are some things that, that God is pulling you deeper into. And whichever group you find yourself in, my prayer is that Jesus would use this opportunity to grab you by the hand and lead you into your next step of becoming a believer. Now, listen, this may be the first time you've ever heard me preach. Uh, I have rules. I like an amen church. I don't like a church that's too quiet. It makes me nervous. I, I want to make sure that I'm teaching well and that you understand what I'm saying. This is for you online, too. You can put it in the chat. Talk back to me now. Otherwise, we'll be here for 10 hours while I try to explain it better than I did the first time. Glory to God. Turn with me to John, to the book of John. We're going to be in John chapter 4. And we're going to look at a story that's pretty famous. This passage of scripture is really, really popular. It's about this woman at a well who goes through a relational encounter with Jesus and she comes out on the other side of that relational encounter so transformed that she starts telling other people and they become believers. And before we get deep into this word, I, I, I'll tell you something about our senior pastor. I, pastor Lance, I love him, but he's not here so I can talk about him. We'll see if I still have a job on Monday. Listen, Pastor Lance is a notorious over-preparer. He's very thorough. So I don't ask Pastor Lance any question that I don't have six hours to sit down and listen to the answer. You understand? I won't even ask him about toppings on a pepperoni pizza just because I don't want him to tell me where the toppings come from, how they're imported, how they're grown, how they're watered. You know, I don't always have time for that. And so when we were talking about this weekend and we were talking about me teaching on John, of course, he emailed me all 6,442 pages of notes that he had taken on this passage. I confess I ignored 6,441 of those pages, but on the one that I did read, he said something about this woman in our story that really resonated with me. He said that because of her relational encounter with Jesus, this woman becomes a factory of belief. I like that. That resonated with my spirit because I really want to be a factory of belief. I want to be the central location where God is building belief over and over and over again. 
And so I wanted to look at the story to figure out how she got there, and I was surprised to see that her story doesn't start with her. Her story starts with Jesus. In this text, Jesus has traveled from Judea, and he's supposed to be going to Galilee. He ends up in Samaria. Now, geographically, the shortest route from Judea to Galilee was through Samaria. But most Jewish people did not take that route. Why? Because there was this old and deep distrust and disdain for the people of that region, the Samaritans. Now, the silly thing about this little conflict that the Jewish and the Samaritan people had was that they're basically cousins, right? When the Babylonians exiled the Jewish people, that means kidnapped, came and took them, and brought them into the Babylonian Empire, they left a remnant of Jewish people in Jerusalem. And this remnant that was left in Jerusalem was, was all of the lowest classes of Jewish people. Now, I don't know how they decided who was the lowest class in the Jewish community. I don't know if this meant this was the poor Jewish people. I don't know if this meant this was the less educated Jewish people. But it was the lowest classes of Jewish society that the Babylonians said, you won't be a good co contribution to Babylonian society, so y'all stay here. And over time, the remnant that was left, well, they started marrying non-Jewish people from the region. And I don't blame them because 80% of the Jewish people were gone. We got to marry somebody. Slim Pickens out here, you know? <laughs> well, they started marrying other non-Jewish people and they started having children. And those children were now half Jewish and half something else. And so their culture and their faith and their way of life was just different and over time, their children and their children emerged as a separate ethnic group called the Samaritans. And the Jewish people didn't like the Samaritans. They saw them as these kind of half-breeds who, who don't do things the way we do them. And it's funny how, like, a, a little bit of difference can cause a whole lot of conflict. Isn't it funny how that works? And listen, I know, I know y'all are saved. I know you're holy. I know you're righteous. But... For most of us, if somebody comes up to you and says, I don't like you, your response is going to be, well, I don't like you either. If God is still working on your heart, you might throw a little insult on the end of it. I don't like you and your mama's stupid. How about that? Pray for me. 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 The Jewish people and the Samaritans, they did not get along. And over time, this conflict festered and it grew until eventually you have people being born into an old prejudice that they really don't understand and they really can't articulate. Most Jewish people hadn't spent any meaningful or substantial time with Samaritans, and most Samaritans hadn't spent any meaningful or substantial time with Jewish people, but because my mama didn't like y'all and her mama didn't like y'all, well, I don't like y'all. It's funny how we can inherit a dislike, isn't it? And so you have these cousin communities who hate each other but don't know each other, who talk about each other, but don't talk to each other. I know this all sounds so strange, and you've never seen anything like this in, in the world today. I know this is very foreign. We don't, know, we don't know where this happens at. This is Samaria. And John 4 opens up telling us that Jesus had to go to Samaria. It says he needed to go to Samaria, not because it was the practical route to take, but because there were some people there who needed to hear him. And I am so glad to have a savior who will say, 
I have to go to where Judah is to encounter him. I have to go to the conflicted place, to the dangerous place, to the place with issues, if that's where Judah is, because I need to encounter Judah. And some of us think that the barrier to us becoming believers is where we are in our life right now because we're in the place of addiction, because we're going through the divorce, because we're in the place of sin, because we're struggling with this thing or that thing, that we can't fully become believers. But I want you to know that Jesus says, I will come to where you are. I will come to that place of addiction. I will come to that broken place. I will come to that messy place. I will come to where you are to get you. And so Jesus comes to this town of Samaria, and this town in Samaria is a town called Sychar. And it's here that he encounters this woman. Let's read it together. John chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now, there are a couple things that I want you to notice right away. First, let's, let's look at this woman. It's interesting because we never find out her name. We don't find out her age. And it would seem like we don't really know a lot about her, but there's actually a ton of information about her in verse 6. Verse 6 has this, this little detail that's really easy to miss, but it's really important. Look at verse 6 for a second. It says, it was about the sixth hour. What that translates to is it was about 12 in the afternoon during the hottest part of the day. This is in part why Jesus was so hot and so tired and like, give me something to drink, you know? And there's something really interesting about the fact that this woman comes to get water during the hottest part of the day and that she comes alone. Typically, women in this culture, they would go during the early morning before it gets too hot, and they would go in groups because, well, community makes things safer and more enjoyable. And so I wondered what type of situation would this woman have been in that she would choose to go during the hottest part of the day, during the dangerous part of the day, that she would choose to go alone? What sort of outcast was this woman that she went alone. And as I started imagining what kind of situation she might have been in, I started to think, man, this woman's situation is crummy. It's lonely. It's dangerous. But it also made me wonder if maybe God is using my crummy, my lonely, my dangerous situation to lead me to an encounter with him, you know? The second thing I want you to notice, who is it that initiates this encounter? It's Jesus. The text says, Jesus said to her. Jesus always initiates belief. Sometimes he does it through churches. Sometimes he does it through people. Sometimes he does it through sermons or songs. Sometimes he does it through something that comes way out of left field, doesn't make sense, and you don't know why he used it. But Jesus always initiates belief. What that means for those of you who are already journeying with Jesus is that you didn't find him. He found you. And I want to encourage somebody today who may be struggling with belief. Jesus starts this conversation, right? He's coming to find you. He, he enters into your world in the same way that he entered into her world. And that's the God that we serve, the kind who will introduce himself 
to us, even when we aren't looking. So he initiates this conversation, and he asks her for a drink of water, right? Now, he really throws her off her game when he asks her for a drink of water, because this is not how things were done. Let me show you how radical this is. A rabbi would not have spoken to any woman in public, not even his wife. Some of y'all start looking at your husbands like, I wish you would not speak to me in public. You let me be in the grocery store and you don't say something to me. It just wasn't done at that time. It's not how people operated, right? Any woman, much less an improper, half-breed, Samaritan woman. But we serve a God who will communicate with us in ways that we don't expect and don't anticipate. And Jesus decides that encountering her is more important than doing things the way they've always been done. What does this mean? For those of us who are already journeying with Jesus, don't get so caught up in tradition that you miss the move of God. God is moving with the times. God is doing things that make sense to do today. And that may not look how you're used to it looking. That may not look how you expect it to look or even how you're comfortable with it looking. But you will miss what God is doing if you are too beholden to tradition. This is why so many of Jesus' students initially missed him because he didn't look how they thought he was going to look. Don't miss the move of God because you're so caught up in tradition. For those of you who are not quite on your journey yet with Jesus, I want you to rest assured that Jesus is innovative enough to grab your attention. I want to invite you to now begin looking for Jesus to do things in the unexpected places. Start looking for Jesus to, to be active in ways that maybe you didn't expect. Start looking for him under the bed and behind the dresser. I mean, really start looking for Jesus to be active in your life in ways that you don't expect. Let's pick it up in verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. So the woman does what most of us are tempted to do when we encounter Jesus, right? Run, right? She tries multiple times to push him away. And she does this by casting her own limitations onto him. I'm a woman, so you can't reach me. I'm a Samaritan, so you can't reach me. My reputation is bad, so you can't reach me. I've got sin in my life, so you can't reach me. I've got this kind of sin in my life, not like regular sin, but like this kind of sin in my life, so you can't reach me. This is just the way I am. You can't reach me. I've been dealing with this thing for too long. You can't reach me. And some of us have stalled in our belief process because we keep making our limitations his limitations. And Jesus has this really long, elaborate response to her in verse 10, to her putting up all her limitations. I'm going to sum it up in the NJDV. That's the new Judah Dwight version. 
This woman says, look at all my limitations. And Jesus says, and? I love how Jesus responds to this woman in, in this verse because he doesn't pretend that she isn't who she says she is. He doesn't pretend that she doesn't have the issues that she has, but he redirects the focus back to himself. And a part of becoming a believer is allowing Jesus to redirect the focus back to himself. I have a secret for you. Becoming a believer is not actually about you. Amen. This woman says, I got this going on and I got that going on and I got this problem and I got that problem. And Jesus says, yes, but it's not about you. It's about me. I am the one who created you. I am the one who stepped into the world, into the womb of a woman. I am the one who lived the perfect life. I am the one who carried a cross that belonged to somebody else. I am the one who was buried in a tomb with somebody else's name on it. I am the one who was resurrected on the third day. And I am the one who ascended into heaven and now sits at the right hand of God the Father. It's not about you. It's about, it's about me. He says, it's, it's about me. And he expands her world. He tells her there's such thing as living water. I love that, because I know that woman was like, what? Right? But I, I love how he, how he engages her, because he makes her curious. He makes her curious when he says, if you only knew, he makes her curious about the things of God. He makes her curious about who Jesus is. He makes, her, he makes her curious about what Jesus could do for her. What does that mean? For those of us who are already in our journey with Jesus, a part of how we win people to the kingdom is by making them curious. How do I do that? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> we live our lives as who we are and for Jesus. That's it. Be who you are for Jesus. Whatever your skill set is, who, however your personality is, if you're a bright, chipper morning person, right, be bright and chipper for Jesus all the time. When you walk into the office and you're smiling, even though the world is coming to an end, and, and you smile, that makes people curious. If you're a handyman and you fix things real well, when you offer to fix somebody's toilet or help work on their car, that makes them curious about you. I'll tell you, you, you want to know what has been one of the greatest evangelistic tools for me? This ring in my nose. I don't know if you can see it. My, my nose is pierced. And I didn't get it to be an evangelistic tool. I got it because I thought it made me look edgy and cool. <laughs> but I find that when I walk into a space, people see the nose ring and they assume whatever they assume about me. And then they find out I love Jesus and they start leaning in. They get curious. They start, then they start, we start playing this game. They start trying to figure out if, if we're talking about the same Jesus. I'm like, I love Jesus. They're like, Jesus, Jesus? Yes. <laughs> Mary's son, Jesus? Yes. Like the one in the Bible? Yes. The one that hung on the cross? Yes. <laughs> the point is, being who I am and doing that for Jesus, it makes people curious. And that's one of the ways that we win people to the kingdom. So Jesus initiates this conversation, and he does it using these like really unconventional methods, and then he, he redirects the conversation back to himself when this woman starts trying to erect barriers between them. And then he reveals who he is and what he does. Let's pick it up in verse 13. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him 
will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus says to her, whatever you think you need, you're wrong. What you need is me. And a part of becoming a believer is letting Jesus help you reimagine what you need. I know you thought you needed the degree and I know you thought you needed the job and those things are nice, but what you need is me. I know you thought you needed the job and you thought you needed that relationship. I know you, you thought you needed that opportunity, but what you need is me. I know you thought what you needed was for this problem to be solved or for this issue to be healed, but what you need is me. And Jesus is telling her and telling us that everything we need is housed in him and we have to start reframing this idea about what we need. All I need is Jesus. A cheeseburger would be nice, but what I need is Jesus. So he, he helps her reimagine what he needs, what she needs. And it's interesting because up to this point in the conversation, it's actually been like a relatively nice conversation. You know, it's been pleasant and, and relatively nice, right? But the challenge for us is that be, becoming a believer is not always nice. Doesn't always feel good. It's not always pleasant. A part of what has stalled some of us in our process of becoming believers is the discomfort that we feel when Jesus gets all up in our business and he gets all up in our business, doesn't he? I can't speak for Buddha because I don't know him. I can't speak for Muhammad. I just don't know him. But I know Jesus. And Jesus is the nosiest person I've probably ever met in my life. He stays in my business. It really gets on my nerves when, he's, when he corrects me over my thoughts, you know. I'm like, Jesus, I didn't even say it. I just thought it. And he's like, yeah, do better. <laughs> Jesus gets all up in our business, and that's not always comfortable for us. It wasn't comfortable for this lady. Look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and, and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you right. You are right in saying I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now I know what you're thinking. This is why I don't, this is why I don't fool with Jesus because see how he did her? He didn't even have to call her out like that. Well, hold on. He's not actually calling her out. He's actually inviting her to be vulnerable with him to unpack and unfold the ugly parts and the messy parts and the parts that aren't pretty and the parts that we can't leave at home when we come to church on Sunday, the messiness of our lives. He's inviting her to share that part of her journey with him. And a part of becoming a believer is being willing to share the things that we are ashamed of with Jesus, the things that break our heart when we think about, I can't believe I did that, and I can't believe I said that, and I can't believe I have failed in this way. Those are the things that we need to share with Jesus. And I want you to notice that he invites her to do this after he's already shown her he can meet our needs. In our effort to help people become believers, we have to lead with meeting their needs first. And then we invite them to be vulnerable with their confession. That's after we've established trust and after we've established relationship with them. Hear me when I say this. We don't lead people to Jesus by pointing out their sins. 
it has never worked. That cannot be the first conversation that you have with people where you go to some, good morning, and you're going to hell. What? <laughs> That's not really helpful, right? We have to lead by meeting their needs. And then we invite them to bring their stuff to Jesus, their troubles, their sin, their issues to Jesus. I also want you to notice that he doesn't invite her to be vulnerable as if he doesn't already know what's going on, right? He tells her he knows. You're right in saying that you have no husband. What you're saying is true. That's what he tells her. But there is something about when you don't have to hide from Jesus anymore, when there's no part of what you got going on that you have to be secretive about with Jesus anymore, there is something about that that will unlock the deepest and richest, most meaningful part of your relationship with him. And some of us are stalled in our relationship with Jesus because there's still some things that we're saying, you can't have this, Jesus. I want you to notice that he invites her to be vulnerable as an invitation to accept the power that he offers us to confront sin in our lives. And a part of becoming a believer is allowing Jesus to confront the sin in your life, is allowing Jesus to say, you know what? This isn't actually what I designed you to do. This isn't actually how I designed you to operate. You know what? I actually have a different dream for you than the one that you're living. Let's do what I want to do. A part of becoming a believer is letting him do that work in our lives. And the beautiful part about it is that he gives us the power to confront those things that are knocking us over and hit them back. We ought to be excited about receiving that power. And so this conversation continues between this woman and Jesus. It's actually a really long conversation and there are lots of different parts to it. There's some moments where she's asking some theological questions like where to worship and how to worship and Jesus answers the questions. What does that mean? It's okay to have questions. It's okay to not be clear about everything. Jesus does not get mad at us when we say, Jesus, I don't, I don't fully understand this. Help me with this. There's a part of the conversation where the woman kind of stumbles and, and misses the point. She says, well, you know what? I'll ask the Messiah when he gets here. And Jesus is like, hello, I'm the Messiah. <laughs> what does that mean? It means that it is okay for us to stumble and miss the point sometimes in the process of believing because Jesus will correct and he will instruct us. I came from a church that missed the point for years and years and years and was borderline a cult. And we stumbled and we missed the point. And then Jesus said, uh, hello. It's okay to stumble and miss the point sometimes. There's even a point in this conversation where this woman wrestles with the challenge of being in a community. Look at verse 27. Just then, his disciples came back, and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking to her? What does that mean? For those of us who are already in our journey with Jesus, there are times where you're not going to understand what God is doing in somebody else's life, and that's okay. We have to trust him and trust his good work. And we cannot be guilty of running people away from the church because we don't understand what God is doing in their lives. There's a whole scripture that talks about how serious God takes it when we cause the least of these to stumble. I'll, I'll put it in modern terms. Um, mind your own business. 
If God has given you a role to play in somebody else's journey, play your role and then mind your own business. It's not for you to understand everything. It's not for you to know everything. Sometimes God is doing a specific thing with a specific person and you just have to say, you know what, I'm gonna let God work that out in their lives. For those of you who have not yet embarked on your journey with Jesus or maybe you're fairly new in your journey, I know that one of the biggest barriers that some of us have to becoming believers is church hurt. Is the reality that the church is made up of the people and the people always have the problems. And for a lot of us, those problems have shown up in real ways and have created real wounds. And just as a representative of the big C church, I want you to know I am so sorry. I am so sorry that the church has not always done and been what it's supposed to be. I am sorry that some church leaders have been harmful and manipulative. I am so sorry that we have created wedges between you and your faith walk. And I want to invite you not to let the challenges of being in community keep you away from Jesus. I want to invite you to reach through the community and its messiness and its ickiness and grasp the hand of Jesus who will not fail you, who will not be inappropriate, who will not break your heart, who will not cause you harm, who will show up for you every time and in every way. So Jesus, he engages this woman. He converses with her. He interacts with her in these deeply relational ways. And over the course of this conversation that they have, she begins more and more to believe that Jesus is telling the truth. We call that belief. And one of the things about belief is that belief always moves us to action. Look at verse 28. So the woman left her water jar. That means she left what she had thought was really important. She left what she had perceived to be critical for her survival. It says she left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come and see. Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out, went out of the town, and they were coming to him. A part of how you know you've taking a step toward belief is you want to tell somebody. Real belief is always shared publicly. Always. And we do this in every other area of our life, don't we? Soon as you hear about a good Mexican restaurant, don't you say, girl, you got to go down to Alberto. That taco was so good, don't we? As soon as we read a good book, we say, I, I, I ordered you three or four copies because I, I love this book. We hear a good podcast or, or listen to a good song. We tell people about what we really believe in, and we've got to start doing that about Jesus too. It is not just the responsibility of pastors to proclaim the good news. That's your job too. And we've got to be sharing our belief publicly. And when we do, people are one. Skip down to verse 39. It says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I had ever did. 
So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So she goes back into the town telling other people, and what's interesting is she does this like even while still answering, asking questions herself, right? It's not like this clean, clear-cut, one-time encounter, and all all of her questions are answered. Like, there's a process, right? And what that means is that real belief does not require you to have all the answers. Um, it's okay to say, I don't know. That's a good phrase to adopt. It's okay, even as you're telling people about Jesus, to say, you know what? I, I don't actually know how I feel about that, or I haven't fully arrived at a position on that, or I'm going to go back and read and try to get, get you an answer. It's okay to do that. Becoming a believer is not about head knowledge. It's about relationship. Sometimes we put too much, too much stock in head knowledge. And that's why some of us can know every word in that Bible and still not actually be believers. It's about relationships because becoming a believer is relational. And it is about choosing every day to re-believe and re-engage and recommit to our relationship with Jesus. And when we do, People are led to the throne. Here's what I need you to do. I'm going to invite the band to come back out, and we're going to sing another song. I know some of y'all are like, now wait a minute, Bridgeway. This is the third week in a row we've done a closing song. Uh, yes. This is the third week in a row we've also done some prayer at the end. We're going to do some praying in a minute. And listen, we don't apologize for that. We believe in prayer here. We have seen it transform lives. We believe that it is a necessary part of being in community. And here's what I need you to walk out of here understanding. Becoming a believer is a marathon. It is a relational marathon. And every single day, Jesus is doing his good work, specific to you, contextualized to you, to help you in that journey. So for some of you, maybe you're here and Jesus has just been like tugging your heart. Maybe you're watching online and Jesus has been tugging your heart. And maybe for the first time you're ready to say, I think Jesus is telling the truth. And man, if that's you, I am so excited for you. Oh. And some of you may be here and you're like, no, I'm, I'm knee deep in my belief. I've, I've been walking with Jesus for a minute. And that's beautiful. And maybe you're here and you're, you're saying, I, there are some areas that I want to grow in. There are some things that I want Jesus to do. There are some circumstances that, that I'm, I'm just not even sure Jesus can, can, can do what I want him to do. Wherever you find yourself, um, I'm going to open up just this altar for prayer. And y'all, uh, we're lucky because we got all the time in the world, really, to pray together. And I'm going to invite up some of our prayer team members I'm going to invite up, I think we may have a couple of pastors in the building, some of our chaplains. I'm going to be down here, and we're just going to, we're going to form a line. Y'all can come. We're going to form a line, like, right at the, just at the foot of the stage. Just find some place. And, and we're going to just be praying for anybody who wants to come and get prayer about whatever. We just want to be praying with you. And while we're doing this, uh, Pastor Dylan and Rayon, they're going to, they're going to sing another song. And I know, I know the devil is messing with you right now. Like, you, you better not go up there and embarrass us like that. You better not. 
you better not put your business out there. But I said it at the beginning and I'm going to say it again. Becoming a believer is critical to our entire eternal existence. That means you don't have time to let pride get in the way of building community and encountering Jesus through community. So, as we sing, if you feel led, come pray with us. I think if it's only a couple of us, that's all right. Pastor Lance is coming. He's going to be praying with us. And I'd invite you to take full advantage of that. I'd invite you to come.